Hello and welcome to another edition of the TetraCast. It is a warm winter day, at least for me, and we're here to sit down and talk about RPGs, as we always do. I'm your host, Brian Vitali. Joining me today, we've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Adam Vitali. Hey, guys. And we've got James Galizio. It's raining for once. Oh, wow. And you're in uh, SoCal. That is something. So we are in the back half of January now. Still has been quite a quiet month, but that I think is typical. We've all been catching up on backlogs. A few of us have been starting to look ahead a little bit with some things that are we're looking forward Bar-goed. to. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna be a little bit more uh a little bit more coy about it, but there you go. <laughs> we have we have we have we have people on staff playing games that they are that are under embargo. There we go. Now it's out there. Uh but outside of that we'll be talking about a few things that uh that have come up in the month of January. No real big headlining topic this week or major game release. So this episode might be a little bit more of a grab bag, a little bit more random, but that's fine. We can have one of those every once in a while. Uh, as always, we would start out with article shout outs, but we don't really have many this week. Uh, a lot of those are still kind of in the works. So we'll move straight on into games we've been playing. <laughs> kind of a Did very, we- very a very very quick yeah. introduction there but um you know why why dilly dally you know we don't need much preamble so who wants to go uh go first i will i suppose uh, you probably have the most interesting thing to talk about so go ahead and talk about I it i don't know about that anyways so i am about 150 hours into the pc version of neo 2 um koei tecmo for once <laughs> gave us plenty of time for that with this released before it comes out officially, which is on February 5th on PC. I'm playing the PC version, but it, it's coming out on PC and PlayStation 5 uh, on February 5th. If you own the PS4 version that came out last year, you can upgrade for free. So that's cool. Um, and also Neo 1 is coming out on the same day for PlayStation 5, already also obviously already available on the other platforms. So we've been just talking about Neo 2 quite a bit in the last couple of podcasts, so I won't dwell on this too much, but I, I basically went straight from Neo 1 to Neo 2, so I can see what people have been saying about this game, you know, as far back as the original reviews, you know, last March or whenever it released. So I guess I'll put it this way. If you played Neo 1 and you didn't really like the design, like the overall design of the game or the structure of the game or how it how it flows or the formatting, Neo 2 might not uh, change your mind because it's it's very, very similarly done in that sense, like on the on the on the macro scale in terms of how it how it's designed and how you progress through the game. But if you were maybe uh, a little bit critical of Neo One's, like some of the balancing, or maybe some of the variety, or maybe some of the specific individual levels were kind of annoying or whatever. Um, then Neo 2 is worth checking out, I think, because it, it's basically a polished reiteration on the formula, which, you know, not every sequel has to reinvent the wheel. And sometimes that's all you need is just to, you know, rough, uh, polish up those rough edges and, um, and just get it, you know, streamline a few things, add a few things to, to increase, you know, interest in the variety of the game or whatnot. So I actually do uh, like me... um, what James wrote for this in our end of the year write up for 2020. How out of all the games that were in the um, top five, Neo 2 is the most clearly like iterative, but it does it so well that it still deserves to be there. How it excels in all the same ways that Neo 1 did. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it never really had to. It just kind of like took 
the shortcomings of the initial game and just kind of bolstered them up. Like, oh, enemy variety? You say that's lacking? Well, here, we're, we're, we'll double it. How about that? <laughs> just stuff like that. Yeah, they. so that, that that's one. So I was actually going to list some of the... Um, some of the immediate like bonus benefits to Neo Two, and one of them is the uh, the enemy variety. They add a lot of different yokai that weren't in Neo One, they, and and they keep, of course, all the Neo One enemies except the except the statue. For some reason, they don't bring back the statue guys. But anyway, like they add what Gakis, Enkis, Ifandataras, Nuranas, the Shifling guys, Yamandas, Karokas, that multi-headed crawling thing, Myras, Yes. <laughs> and the DLC adds the crab guys, the Yashas, the blob things, the yokai carts, the evil hags, and the old babies. Those are all. I like, I, I like how some of these have your, uh, <laughs> the actual names, and then you have evil babies and blob things. <laughs> yeah. I, I went by memory. Like, I don't remember what those blob guys are called. They're like Nurbobos or something. But yeah, so they, there's a lot more enemy types. Um, so how's and, the. Um... Just just to try to focus this on what you're actually covering, how is the uh, PC version of the game? So the PC version, let me put it this way: the PC version of Neo One, uh, it was kind of basic. It was, it was fine, and apparently it was worse when it started. But like for example, um, it only supported up to sixty frames per second, and now Neo Two's PC port, as well as the PS Five version, will support higher than sixty frames. Uh, which is for an action-y RPG like this, where movement is very important, that's very cool that it can do that. Uh, it runs well. There's HDR. Um, I was having a few issues with the port, like when it first when I first got the code, but that was like a early pre-release version that has been updated several times already, and there probably will be more in the next couple of weeks before launch. Uh, it's the HDR is great. The high the high frame rate is great. There are a few niggling issues. Like, for example, I'm playing with the controller. I just feel like this game is just better with the controller. But when you play with the controller um, and a borderless window, the cursor, your mouse cursor, will kind of uh, adhere itself right into the middle of your screen. And you can't, it doesn't hide it. So it's just stuck there. <laughs> Which is annoying. That, that, yeah, that's I actually happened downloaded... a few times. I feel like I've that's something that I've seen fixed pretty quickly in most games. That's what makes covering yeah. PC ports so tricky. It's like they'll probably fix this, but I I don't know. If I actually downloaded uh, just a literally like a small little applet like auto hide the cursor when it's not in use. Like I just, just to get rid of that. Um, PC gaming. Also, like for example, I am playing with an Xbox 360 controller. All the all the button prompts are still PlayStation prompts. Oh, I was going to ask um, about that. So, like, you know, I'm, I've already sort of... I, it's one of those things I adjust to easily. It doesn't really bother me that it says to press O, even though I'm pressing B. But hopefully they adjust that before launch. <laughs> but yeah, I it's, feel like it's it, been more and more common. Well, it's a little bit more intense in terms of requirements than the first Neo. The first Neo, uh, so I guess... I'm running a GPU is a NVIDIA 280 uh, Ti, so not like the new cards, but a, a pretty new, a fairly still new card. Still a pretty, years. pretty yeah. beastly card still. Yeah, um, I'm, I am decided not to run at 4K because running a resolution at 4K, my there are several spots where my frame rate is below 60. And for a game like this, frame rate kind of trumps resolution. So I'm playing at 1440p. I'm getting frame rates above 60 most of the time. Uh, one thing I've kind of run into, which is sort of amusing in a way, is like there's a certain 
there's this certain asset in the game that's like a it's like a candle um or a set of candles what do you call that a candle blah and it it like really whenever there's a bunch of those in the in the game it really starts to struggle a bit because i guess something to do with lights and point sources and shadows with all those candles around um but anyways otherwise aside aside from a few things like that it runs pretty well um and it's a really great game just broadly neo is sort of a great mix of like those rpg elements like builds and equipment and stats as well as that sort of action skill-based gameplay and i just think it's a really cool mix of things and i do like it's it's different flavor of the like sort of story that's told in these style of games where it's in the background it's told mostly through world building neo 2 compared to something like dark souls sorry we have to make this comparison it's like required <laughs> it's uh it's a little bit more overt but still it still allows things to take place off screen it's still not in your face it's the story is still kind of like secondary or tertiary it's it's not what you play this for but it just takes the idea of the storytelling style of dark souls and it it just shifts it a little bit more towards traditional like JRPG. Just a just I wouldn't a tad. even say I wouldn't even say if it, it's trying to ape the uh storytelling of Dark Souls. It, Dark Souls is a very specific type of storytelling and Neo's not that type of story, I think. Because Dark Souls is all about the lore and like piecing things together, like reading item descriptions and whatnot. Neo's well, was... story is just is just like forthright. Yeah, well, I was more thinking about like Dark Souls has these NPCs where Neo tells the stories through like when you when you loot a human corpse and you and you hear like what happened to that person. But you're right; it, it is still quite a bit different. I do like that it's not the at the not the primary focus. It's different. I think one thing well. one one consideration here is like this is sort of like an alternate history of this era of Japan. And like for example, there's like in one of the chapters you or maybe two of the chapters you're working alongside Nobunaga. Uh, and things like that. Now, if you're a Japanese person, the history of Nobunaga is probably something you're pretty well aware of. If you're someone like me, you may know like just very, very broad strokes. So it doesn't need to like go into a ton of, you know, exposition like who is this person and what is he doing and how did he die? You know, because if you're a Japanese person, you kind of already know that. I, I'm assuming you're going to know that more so than a non-Japanese person. So the game just sort of touches on like, hey, you met Nobunaga and here's a battle with that you're in. Um, only obviously this alternate yokai-filled version of it. And that's kind of throughout the game. Like you actually, um, this, is me, this is maybe just a very minor spoiler, but like your character in the game as well as Tokichiro in the game is sort of like an alternate take on a historical figure named Hideyoshi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's sort of that sort of like alternate history fiction or whatever you want to call it. It's like, it's like presenting a common folktale mm -hmm. in, this, in this very particular new way. So thumbs up on the PC port so far, minus a few issues with Yeah, there's just a few niggling issues that'd be like, I kind of hope they fix this before launch. I will like, say, thing, but, uh. I will say that I am a bit worried about performance if you're saying that you're having drops below 60 FPS at 1440p for 2080 Ti. No, not not on 1440p and 4K. There's there's this well, no, candle but, that's what, the only thing. Yeah, well, when you you said you're mostly above 60 FPS at 1440p, so I was confused. It's, Are there drops? I mostly, below? I mean, like 99% of the time. <laughs> so. you, 
I'm guessing you just said it that way because you're not 100% sure. I, so, I just don't like, like sticking to absolutes. <laughs> oh. Like, yeah, what if you do this very specific thing in this very specific place and you end up at 55 oh, frames per second? But like, for, for example, <laughs> just Neo 1, I actually did run at 4K 60, and that's the highest Neo 1 went and really had no problems with it. But if I play Neo 2 at 4K, I'm, there's actually several places I'm not above 60. So it's, it's a bit more intense on your Here's a question. What's the forms of uh, anti-aliasing it supports? Um, is, it, is it just FXA? Is it TAA? Is it MSAA? Because if you're running it at 4K60 at max settings and it supports MSAA, it actually that might... does not have an internal and anti-aliasing option. It just has a resolution scale. Yeah, the rendering resolution. Can that go I'm above 100? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> All right, no, it's oh. it's some games allow you to go to like 150, 200, which is basically. SSA Super sampling, right. That's actually something important to mention, though, because like, if it doesn't support anti-aliasing, that's a fairly big deal. I, I guess I didn't even notice because I'm running anti-aliasing through NVIDIA or whatever. So Why, why is that a big deal, though? Um, I think anti-aliasing is one of the easiest things to see if it's not there. Yeah. Would I, would I be able to tell? Have you ever seen like the edge of an Im uh, the edge of a, like a character model or like their hair or their clothes and it's like jagged? Like, uh, oh, okay, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty bad. It's most so, common. It's easiest for me to spot when it's like on staircases, the individual steps or like railings where there's lots of vertical lines in parallel and they shimmer yeah, as you move by yeah. them. Yeah. So Obviously, if you're running at 4K, it's not like you even really need anti-aliasing at that point. The resolution is high enough, right? Yeah, but even for well, even for 1440p, I'd say like a little bit of TAAs go, goes a long way. And obviously, it gets even more and more important the lower your resolution is. So I feel like we're getting to the point where 1080p is starting to kind of fall out of mainstream, at least on PC. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's coming out, what did you say, February 4th? 5th. 5th. Hmm. But yeah, it looks like it is a step up, if not perfect, from Neo 1. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like the port is stellar, but it's, you know, it's better than the first game, and it's pretty good. So, And it's obviously a great game, just independent yes. of that. So, Neo 2. Eventually, we promise we'll stop talking about it. <laughs> Give us half the year. Okay, uh, did, were you playing anything else, or was that pretty much it? Uh, I, I have a playthrough of Assassin's Creed Valhalla that I paused a while ago. I started Romancing Saga 2, which I talked about a few weeks ago, so kind of a few games on the back burner there. But Neo has been my focus. All right. George, I want to hear about Immortals Phoenix Rising. <laughs> Last week, you guys didn't want to hear about Immortals. You're all like, nah, that sucks. <laughs> um... So I actually, like I said last week, I predicted that this would be what I talk about. Uh, I finally finished it, and what felt like fifty hours actually ended up being twenty-five hour. But it just like it felt like a long game, if that makes sense. Um, but I, yeah, I had a really good time with it. Uh, I started off pretty lukewarm, and this is okay, but you know, too many puzzles and this and that. But by the end of it, I kind of got used to all that, uh, and it it ramps up quite a lot towards the end. And I think I just I kind of just made peace with what 
it was compared to what I wanted it to be. Um, that is that it's not it. People will go, oh, that's Breath of the Wild, but it's like it's really not. There's a few similarities, but I I, I think it works better if you think of it as a completely different thing. And if you manage to think of it like that, I would easily call it one of Ubisoft's best open worlds in a long time. In Did my you say opinion, you like, I mean, it in in twenty five hours. Yeah, twenty five hours For, in a Ubisoft game. That's what I mean. Like that, that <laughs> it's still quite a long time, but like twenty five hours for a Ubisoft open world is like that's perfect. That's just the right amount of time. Like it I think the last, felt... I think the last Ubisoft game I finished was the Division. And I want to say I put fifty hours into it. Yeah, yeah. That that's like standard. Like if when I, I was recently looking at my PS five game total like hours thing that it lets you do. And it said that on Watch Dogs 2, I'd put in like 70 hours. That, that's my favorite of the Ubisoft games, but that's just like a general thing. Like they're 50 hours each at least. And don't, don't get me started on Assassin's Creed. Like those, those can go like more than 100 easy now. Oh, which oh. puts me off. Yeah, a friend of mine's been going through the series. I keep mentioning this, but he's finally done with the base game for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. He's about to get the platinum trophy. So I'm just missing one or two things. He's over 100 hours in, and he is having heavy burnout because yeah. it's just, gosh. Well, this this yeah. is what's this is what's funny though. Like, I feel like all Ubisoft games, even even Watch Dogs 2, which I adore. Like I said, if that was stretched out to 100 hours, I'd have burnout from it. I don't think I don't think there are many games that can, unless they have a really interesting narrative, they can go for that long. Like, to be fair, I'm like, we say it we say it quite a lot. I flip from game to game like i don't spend much time on one but 100 hours is just like a proper commitment it's what well, i mean that it, it really has to be a special type of game for mm. me to want to sink over 100 hours into it like i mean i most recently did it with labyrinth of gallery and i feel like that was worth it but i can definitely see how for someone else it might they might feel a bit differently because that's a that's a damn commitment for sure even Immortals in its 25 hours, like towards the end of it, even though I, I did really enjoy the last couple of hours and they do like some pretty interesting things with the story as well. It, I, you, you do this final vault and it's like a combination of all of the puzzles, like the main puzzles from the main vaults. So you have these floating boxes you have to shoot and you have to set a ball on fire and guide it around. And like, they're, they're not like super hard puzzles, but the, the vault took me like, like about an hour and it just felt way too long um i kind of felt the same way about breath of the wild with its big uh what are they called again the big things the divine beast divine beast thank you <laughs> the, big <things. laughs> the big things the divine beast from the old babies the blob there. guys and the big things <laughs> i i always thought with that that it was uh they were a bit too long so maybe it's just not for me um i'm writing up a review at the moment and in it I say that my main problem with Immortals, it's it's not even a problem per se, it's very puzzle-based. Like, I went into it thinking it'd be a bit more like Assassin's Creed, which is more combat-based, and it really surprised me of how much the game is like, okay, no, you, you, you can hit some stuff, but like you need to think about this quite a lot. And the puzzles are never challenging, but they're just really, they're very rigid. So this is where I say that there's a difference between it and Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild has its rule set and it really lets you play around with it so like famous examples that jump straight to my head is when you can set fire to the grass and then you can fly up in the upstream and then i don't know you like chuck some metal around that then catches like hits the lightning like 
there's so much you can do in and people are people people are still uploading video clips of crazy shit where they're just like hey this system interacts with this system in this way and look what you can do with it like three exactly. and a half years later or however long it's been it's incredible it's like that's that is the magic of breath of the wild for me i love it for like many more reasons but i remember that being one of the first games where i went like wow there's like you can see the systems in place working with one another and even when they don't work you can still see like the intent behind the system uh, and then Immortals comes out, and it's got so many similarities that you think, oh, maybe it's going to be like really experimental as well. But it like it really isn't. And worse than that, there are some times when it breaks its own rules, or at least messes with them a bit, but in like not very good ways. So I remember there's a before you get to like the final vault, you have to do this, a really big load of puzzles. Um, and there's this one puzzle where you have to put you have to use a crate to weigh down like this weight like this pressure plate so you put the crate on there and then you find out like there's like other ones and i thought i was looking around okay i gotta go find a crate then and then the game expects you to like pick up some rocks and boulders that are outside and like use them as the weight but it's the first time in the game that it done that so like even though the game is like it's almost implying that you could have done that the whole time but every other puzzle doesn't accommodate for that so I was. I get, just, I get what you mean. Yeah, it took me ages just because I was like, "Well, I can't use that rock because there's never been a chance to use a rock before," and it just it, it's examples like that, and there's more examples throughout the game where it just the puzzles have to be done in a certain way, even if that way isn't how you'd think it'd be done, and there's no guidance. There's no, which sounds bad because like I kind of I kind of don't like using hints and guides and stuff like that for puzzles but there but sometimes... when they when there's like an implicit tr- teaching where they show you some early puzzles and like whenever you see this there's going to be a crate and then yeah. they kind yeah. of they they skip the the bridge where it's like there should have been a puzzle with two two switches and in one there's a crate and then you realize oh for the second there's a there's a rock or something like that like it kind of it didn't yeah. didn't thread the the i don't know what you want to call it the in-process learning very well Exactly. Uh, and it, it comes out, it comes across like throughout the whole game. Uh, I personally don't really like puzzles though, which I know sounds like just a stupid thing to say about like, just I generally don't like this, but I don't like the type of puzzles that Immortals does where it's like, okay, take this box and put it on this switch and then you have to figure out the order. I, I just find them boring. I just, it, it's not what I enjoy in a game. Uh, and unfortunately, Immortals is a lot of that. Like, like I say, it really surprised me, which I give it credit for. Because, like, good on it. Good on it that it's not just a combat and climbing game. Like, it has a lot of thinking with it. But I just wish they'd defined some of the rules a bit more and made the puzzles a bit more interesting. No, that's a good but, takeaway. It, it makes me but, a little bit more interested, in it, even though I got so turned off by its art style. Well, that, that's what I mean. It, it's a game that <laughs> presents itself really badly, like the marketing, and even in some cases where, like, within the game itself where you just cringe. I think it's just really unfunny, but there's a lot of heart there. I think that comes across very well. There's a passion for Greek mythology. There's a passion for this world that they've created. All the gameplay systems, like you can tell there's been a lot of care put into them. It's just, it doesn't always land. Uh, I'd said, why well, I think I'm going to say in my review, it's not, it never matches any of the games that it's trying to ape. So I wouldn't say it's better than any of the most recent Assassin's Creed's overall. I say it doesn't touch Breath of the Wild, but I, I personally was comfortable with where it landed i think it's a it's definitely a very good game so play it brian play it i will try to get over my hesitation with this (laughs) 
uh, I was so close to pressing the the purchase button, but then I was like, "Oh, this game looks so ugly." This, I don't want to. I don't want to just like judge a book by its cover. But man, it's just. I just, I'll just have to like plug my nose and dive hit dive in at some point. I mean, I'm in the middle of a few things though, so I'm actually kind of. Well, we'll see if when a gap shows up. I feel like I'm already making excuses, but there's but it's true. <laughs> You're never gonna play. I can tell. No, I've I've always come through and made good on. When I said I'm going to play something, well, always, I don't know. <laughs> I get, you know, someone will pull up some old podcast and <laughs> said, You said you were interested in this and then you never played it. Well, I guess I'll just, uh, um, did you have any other games? Brian, I'm expecting about? you to play Final Fantasy XI with me once I get to it. Ooh, Maybe. he's got you there. <laughs> I mean, I am intrigued by it. This is kind of like a history lesson thing. But, George, did you have uh, any other game that you were playing in the last week? Uh, so I've, play, I've been playing a bit of Hitman 3. Uh, I'm not quite finished with it yet. Like I, I've I've done I've done all the levels at least once, but anyone who's played Hitman knows that that doesn't really mean anything. Mm. Um, and I've really enjoyed what I've seen so far. Uh, I think next week I'll I'll give myself sort of the allowance to talk about the things that interest me most, which sadly is like the last few levels of the game. The rest of it is kind of standard Hitman, which is which is a very good thing. Hitman's fantastic, but like up until the end, I was just like, yeah, cool. More Hitman, no big changes, and then the last few levels are just. They're they're one of them is very very good, and one of them is very very good, but not for the reasons you'd expect. And then after you complete it, you're like, oh man, maybe that isn't a good Hitman level. So that this is all you'll understand next week, I promise. Okay, my experience with Hitman is that um I picked up the the. What, what do you call it? Just Hitman One, the first uh, of the rebootish Hitman. Oh yeah, that one, yeah. Um, and I did the first level. I think this was Hitman One. the The first level I think was Paris. Yeah, yeah. That's and it. I I did it like six or seven times because these levels are so dense about like characters that appear at this time, and you have access to these things, and you can kind of go through these th- these kind of arenas differently, and they're it just. There's just so many moving parts. It's not a linear experience. And then I, I kind of like burned myself out. I, I spent like 20, 20 hours on that level. And then when it was time to get to the next level. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. And then when I went on to the next level, at some point I was just like, eh, I'll get back to it. And then I just never did. I have to like say, I-, I completely get that. And Paris is such a good opening mission. Um Sapienza, which is, I believe, is the second one of the first game. That is a lot. Like, I think Alex Alex Donaldson would say that's the best level in Hitman history. Um, so, like, you, you should have kept going. Like, it only it, it gets better. Yeah, I don't know. I get. I think I feel like I got my fill from that one level. It wasn't the sort I mean, of game I typically play. And I, I loved what I played, but I was just like, all right, I got my twenty hours out of it. But it is good Fine. to see that um, years later. They're still going, and Hitman Three seems like it's at least on par with the others. You know, it's just more, more. How do I say this? More of what people want from Hitman, at least from its newest iteration. So mm. it's good to hear that it's still going strong, and you have a pretty, I, pretty high opinion of it. Mostly, I, I would say, yeah, I would say it's the best of the trilogy. Um, I'm personally just a little bit burnt out from Hitman, like overall, just because I've played all of them on the day they've came out, and I've like put. 20 30 hours into each one so i'd say the biggest criticism you could levy against hitman 3 is that 
even though Hitman 2 was still very iterative as well, it added like enough interesting things that it felt like a sequel. So like the briefcase was added in Hitman 2, for example. But with Hitman 3, it's they only really add this camera that's really gimmicky and used like a few times. And the variety instead comes from the new missions and how they play around the formula a bit. So if you if you're going into it thinking, oh yeah, like let's see what they add, you're gonna be a bit disappointed, I think. But like that again, that's you know, more of a really, really good formula from the people who do it best. Like that's that's a good thing overall. Yeah, maybe maybe, you know, it's actually to its credit that they didn't really go whole hog on throwing in gimmicks or trying to, you know, doctor it up with something that was unneeded. They tried something with this camera, which sounds like it might not have landed great, but other than that, it's just refinements to the formula and things like that. So I um I kind of touched on this when I was talking about my excuse for why I haven't played other games, uh, is that I have been kind of stuck a little bit in service game soup for the last week, which I think this is the second or third time this has happened. So basically, last Tuesday, both Guild Wars 2 and Fantasy Star Online 2, the global version, had an update. So I was just kind of playing through those. Um, obviously, since you're, if, if you're not currently playing those, your level of interest in these updates is probably next to nothing. Uh, I just will say in one sentence that I was pleasantly surprised by the Guild Wars 2 update. The team over at ArenaNet is clearly working on the expansion that's slated to come out this year. So that the live team that's working on current updates is obviously a little bit shrunk. You can kind of feel it in the scope and the quickness of how this of the game this year and late last year. But even with limited resources, they put out a pretty strong update uh, this week, which a lot of people weren't expecting and were pleasantly surprised by. It had it introduced some boss fights with some cool mechanics, um, some real challenge in the uh, in the general story part of the game, the, the the world PVE or whatever you want to call it, which is the game has been lacking for a long time. It's been kind of brain dead where a certain part a certain fa- fraction of the game's audience is this very casual just story driven game without a lot of bite to it and they actually said like all right here's here's some challenge options for for those that are wanting a little bit more since we're not adding a raid right now here's here's something that you can do in the interim and so that was pretty fun it was actually quite quite cool to actually like play around with my build and find a good team and you know make our way through that challenge it was a little bit a little bite sized raid sort of thing um, Fantasy Star Online 2, we're starting to get to the point where global version is catching up to the Japanese version in terms of like end game uh, level updates and materials and weapons or things like that. So it's kind of like, it just feels like, all right, we're almost there. And at this point, we can just shift all of our attention to new Genesis. So it's kind of like, I don't know how much time I want to put into this end game stuff in Fantasy Star Online 2 if it doesn't tether directly into new Genesis. But it still, sounds just, like most, like at least from where I've been reading, that it's mostly going to just be cosmetic things that you can transfer over, right? Right. Uh, so hey, maybe if I get like the they added something called divide quests, which are basically like something that you run weekly and you get points and you turn those points into materials, which you use to craft what ends up being the 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 best possible armor or weapons. And it's like, all right, I'll put some time into these, and maybe if I can get the skin for the the best the, I, i'm a, i'm a caster so i use a rod if i can get a skin for the best rod in fantasy star online 2 and carry that over into new genesis maybe that'll be like my badge of honor or something i don't know uh, but yeah i just enjoy the game for what it is just even even if like it does in, in a year and it ends up like not long no longer being like obviously the servers will still be up but i don't know like how long they'll keep updating it if it if they move focus in new genesis but i just enjoy the game for what it is so i enjoyed playing through it 
The other game that I've been playing, uh, I've just continuing to be putting more time into this fan mod uh, for Fallout New Vegas called Fallout the Frontier. And I was actually kind of expecting to be done with it by now. And I've put, uh, this isn't the most accurate way to read it, but Steam says that I've put over the last two weeks about 38 hours into Fallout New Vegas. Only I haven't been playing Fallout New Vegas. I've been playing this mod built off of it. So this is a, at least, I'm not done with it yet, at least a 40-hour Fallout game as a fan mod. So just the scope of it is something that I think is impressive. Um, if I remember right, when I played through New California, it was like 20, 25 hours, which is like, okay, that's that seems reasonable. Like if It's like a big dlc pack or something like that but this this really feels like a i want to be careful with my wording here i don't want to say like it feels like a real fallout game because it's like what does that mean uh, but if it doesn't feel like a tech on or an, or an additive or something that you do like if it, it feels like it's its own thing where yes it's built off of fallout new vegas but it's not like here's another option for uh, like in Fallout New Vegas DLC, you go to these different places and this is just another one added on. It doesn't really feel like that. It feels like a total conversion. Um, I will say that- How long that was this mod like in development? You know? I think it was like seven years on and off. I'd love to dig into it a little bit more because I know that they've they've changed like who's been heading it up a couple times or at least once. Um, and actually talking about that a little bit. So when I first started this, I went just, okay, I'll start playing through the story. And I mentioned this last week. Uh, I really was not impressed. Some of the story stuff they were doing just felt like way too gimmicky, way too Call of Duty built into an RPG that's, you know, on a rickety computer engine that was never really finished anyway. I wasn't I wasn't really feeling it. Uh, they were doing this stuff where you like drive a tank and it's like, well, it's cool that they decided to figure out how to do this. But I don't know if that's really fun to do in a Fallout game, things like that. Uh, but so what I decided to do over the last week was, okay, I'm going to ignore the story. I'm just going to pick a direction on the map and go. And I think I probably started stated that I started doing that last week and I'm still doing that like hours later, like this, this is not a small map and it's, it's not empty. There are at least 50 quests like of different sizes and scopes and they interact in different ways, which is the exact opposite of what new California did, where if you went off the main story, there would be nothing to see and all the doors would be locked because they didn't put anything behind them. Um, I do want to call out, instead of speaking in generalities, I do want to call out two specific quest lines that have actually genuinely impressed me. So you go to this one place, which is a salt mine, which might seem a little bit weird, but they're, they're like, hey, you know, why not a salt mine? It's used to preserve food. It's used to, you know, it's this place takes place, this game takes place in a snowy environment. So you need salt for the roads. For your, you know, for your for your tanks or whatever. So you, you could argue that it's a you know useful commodity for um, uh, the military or the legion. And when you're doing this quest, you basically learn that the foreman of this mine is a real hard ass. He he has these like dogmatic rules that he inflicts on his miners. And one of the miners basically is starting an uprising. It's called the Union, which I think is supposed to be kind of like this double entendre, where it's like taking this idea of working rights and kind of like embellishing it in this weird, kind of this fallout way that I think kind of works. But then you kind of learn that this person just wants the power for himself, and you you have this other option where you can basically just shut down the mine for good because it's only ever used, you know, by the NCR to put the boot down on the region anyway, so it's not doing anyone any good. Uh, and so it it has these multiple options and these interacting characters with different motivations. It's not just a straight shot. I need this. Do this for me. I'll give you money for it. So it's not perfect, but I just do think that there is some clever design, some interacting story events and quest 
I don't know, outcome possibilities. It's it's good. It's it's uneven, but it's good at its at its best. It's really good. Uh, there's also this other quest that I haven't quite finished yet, where you end up in this little town called Irvington. You're in, you're introduced to the town by uh, like a marshal at the gate guard who is ex NCR, which is New California Republic, which is one of the major factions of um, Fallout New Vegas. And basically, they say they are not sustainable. They haven't had any luck growing crops, so they they live entirely by trade. Because of that, people constantly raid them, and they just pay them off because they don't have a military of their own. Basically, they only exist at the whims of, you know, that as long as they're useful, as, they're, as long as they're a useful, what's the word? Taxation source is a better word for that. For, for people that have more thinking, power I'm, than I'm, they do. I'm thinking like Seven Samurai, almost. <laughs> it's, been, it's been so long since I've seen that. I don't quite know what you're referring to. That, like the samurai only keep the farmers there for, for basically for their food. <laughs> yeah, they're, it's kind of like they're just there because they have a useful tribute. But then you start, you know, you, you talk to people and they're not the sort samurai, of, the bandits, you know what I mean? But you, then you kind of start talking to people. And, um, this one merchant said like, Hey, I, uh, I, I was dealing with this caravan, but then they said they'd come back to do some more trade, but they haven't. And you learned what happened. And then you go, and I was actually looking for the sheriff and I was like, I have a quest for you, but I think you disappeared. And here I thought the game was bugged. And then you realize you go to this caravan and they were murdered. It's like, what did they find out about this town? And the sheriff's there and basically like, you're poking your nose into this too much. And the sheriff's not evil. It's just that what they have, they've found stability. And it's kind of like the patriarch in Wasteland 3, where it's like they have found an avenue, a very slim like path that they can exist between these superpowers and survive. It's not the most ideal. It's it's obviously kind of like they live at the whim of another person's, you know, generosity. And you you can, if you want to, say, like, you should fight back. You should make your own stand. But I actually decided, like, that doesn't seem like a smart idea for these people because they don't have these resources. They don't have, you know, the ability to do that. They're just going to get wiped out. But then even on top of that, the wrinkles continue. And you learn that underneath the town, they have this hydroponics plant that ended up, like, being kind of sabotaged and not working. So if that had worked, they would obviously have become self-sustainable and would not have relied on trade. And I know I'm getting a little bit into the weeds here of the story, but just the fact that I can do that in a fan mod just shows that there was some decent inspired writing chops behind this. Like that is the stuff that's really been impressive to me. So it's kind of weird how maybe this is expected of a fan mod, an amateur product, but it's just so uneven where I play the story bits and they're just terrible. I just really didn't like them at all. And then I play these extra like world bits out in the world. And I'm like, man, this is genuinely good. I wrote, I wrote that thing a couple weeks ago about how I wanted another fallout experience and I'm kind of getting it here. It's, it's obviously not as polished as a, as a, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I should say about that. I was just going to be snarky and say, uh, but there, you, you forgot the most, you forgot to mention the most important thing. Oh yes. You also uh, met a spider with the backpack. Yeah, one of the companions in this game is this little friendly spider with a backpack. And her name is Skitters. Yep. Is that a reference to an older Fallout game like last mm. week's? No, I don't think so. Or? I think it's just like, why not? Let's have a spider with a backpack. Huh. Well, I, I, do also, away, but... <laughs> I do also, uh, there's some of the writing actually does kind of fit that sort of, I don't know how you would describe the Fallout tone. It's like irreverent, but in a way where you can glean some deeper meaning behind it. Sort of like how we talked about with this this group of miners called the Union at this mine. Um, but it's also legitimately funny. 
and sometimes like i was doing this quest at a hunting lodge and one of the hunters there only speaks russian now if your intelligence is high enough like your character just uh, you know russian that's no problem but mine isn't so i don't know russian so whenever i talk to him it says like speaks russian and that's all it says and you can say like <laughs> i don't speak spanish <laughs> just stuff like that <laughs> uh so and then there, there's also like you you go to this like bottle cap factory or this um because oh, the, the main nuka cola is like a fallout staple where they're like this experimental soda soda company and they put all this weird shit into their their sodas and then like apparently in this region it's called h-bomb instead it's like they're competing they're like the rc cola fallout i guess um and then you go in and there's like this super peppy robot that's trying to like sell you his product and he's like super like immature and like that's rad dude you should have some h-bomb and stuff like that and it's just um the the writing is the writing is better than i thought it would be it might be a little bit too much trying to lean on humor and too much trying to lean on references but i can't really hold that against it because everything here is the kind of quote-unquote non-canon anyway and you could like push up your glasses and be like actually i don't understand how the legion could have a presence in you know oregon that doesn't make any sense but you kind of have to like let that stuff go you kind of just have to ignore it so if you're someone that really like adheres to canon adheres to like i don't want there to be any plot holes i want it to be like rigid i, I want to have it like documented in an encyclopedia about what happens and what everything order. has to hold water all the time yeah if you're that sort of person then I'd, i guess you're probably not the sort of person to play a fan mod to you begin look for with. A fan mod anyway right but I just, it's just interesting just to see some of the ideas they use, some of the stories they have. Like another major faction that I won't dwell on is that they have this ex Brotherhood of Steel faction called the Crusaders, where basically their leaders survived like a harrowing event. And so they turned to religion. So it's basically like a religious version of the Brotherhood of Steel. Like, does that actually make sense? I don't know. Like, you could argue that that doesn't make any sense if you like know the tenets of what the Brotherhood of Steel is. But I don't really need it to. Like, okay, they exist here. They have they have some cool characters and some cool quests, and they interact with you in some cool ways. Like, I I don't need to know if it holds water, like specifically. Um. So obviously, as a fan mod, it is also it's a fan mod built on the rickety New Vegas game, which was never really ran great on PC, anyways. So there have been issues with crashes and bugs and things like that. But they have been like shotgunning out hot fixes. So it's already been a. Uh, like it's already been well like taped up a bit from releasing last week but it's i'm kind of glad that i had an empty sort of january that i decided you know what why not i'll try this it's because i've had i've had a better time on average even though it's had some real stinker moments uh i've had a better time on average than i thought i would so it's pretty good and that leaves uh james to talk about anything that he's been playing this week that's not under well, embargo <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's unfortunately the uh, big asterisk there because uh, I won't. So I played a little bit of Tokiden 2 this week, and by a little bit I mean like maybe three or four hours, which I guess is a decent amount. But um, yeah, so I've owned Tokiden Kiwami and Tokiden 2 for a while on Vita, and I've never really given the series too much of a shot. I remember playing like the Tokiden like demo way back in the day, and it's like, eh, it's all right didn't really get into it and then i just like i remember uh, a while back i started buying like uh, pre-owned vita games just because i knew that they were eventually going to be harder and harder to find and lo and behold that's exactly what happened um and 
so I wasn't sure when I was eventually going to get to Tokyo. It was just one of those games. It was like on sitting on my shelf, and it's like, okay, I'm sure I'll play it eventually, but you you just never know when. Um, and now, so just some as good time as any to try. Well, it. basically, what happened is that uh, one of my uh, um, one of my my friend group from high school were looking for a new co-op game to play on PlayStation, and they were going through the PlayStation Store, and they saw that Tokyden 2 actually has a free-to-play version that you can play for just, like, the multiplayer, like, not touching the story. So they downloaded it to try it out, and I said, hey, actually, I own it, so I can hop on and play with you guys. So that's what I did. <laughs> um, so obviously, the very clear comparison is Monster Hunter, because Tokyden is very much especially compared to other Monster Hunter quote-unquote clones, is pretty explicit. Like, um, it's developed by Omega Force, which is the Dynasty Warriors team, and it's definitely more Japanese-inspired, like, like Japanese folklore. I mean, instead of fighting regular monsters, you're fighting Oni. So, kind of more similar to, I guess, uh, Neo in that aspect, since they're both Koei Tecmo games. But, um... One of the interesting aspects of it is that you're, much like in Monster Hunter, you're kind of trying to attack body parts to break them. But in this case, you attack, when you break the body parts off, you need to purify them first, or they'll grow back eventually. And that accomplishes two things. If you break off a body part, attacks with that body part does less damage, and also that's how you get your materials. So instead of just getting materials from killing an Oni, you have to specifically purify the part too, which is a bit of an interesting, like, little um, change to what would be the normal Monster Hunter formula. And instead of having, like, items that you set for a loadout whenever you go out on a hunt, you have these um, warrior spirits, I forget the name, I didn't pay too close attention to that, that you equip, which give you stat buffs, but also they have a predetermined number of skills that you can use, like stuff like buffing your attack or making it so that your attacks like leech HP um, when you're attacking uh, enemies, or just simple like, hey, you can just pop this to heal. So it's a bit more... Um, Less focused on the preparation aspect of Monster Hunter, which even World is a bit less of an issue than previous games. But it's much more focused on the combat, because each of the weapons are, well, it, first off, it's a faster-paced game in the first place. Like, each of the weapons is faster, it's, you're, mo you're more mobile, maybe less so than, I guess, uh, Rise, because of the uh, new... Uh, wire bug and whatnot, but it's still, it's interesting. I, I'm still not sure how to feel about it, but if if the, if those friends of mine keep playing it, I'll probably keep playing it. Otherwise, I'm not sure if I'll stick with it since Monster Hunter Rise is out so soon. So, who knows. The one part about Tokiden 2 that sticks with me, I have never played it, but I really love the art. Um, it's done by Hidari, who did the art for the character art, anyway. Um, Atelier Dust Trilogy, as well as yeah. Time of Echoes. And I just yeah, really I definitely noticed that. So I actually like, played um, Tikiden, Tukaiden, I don't know how to pronounce that, that game, okay. and and uh, Soul Sacrifice. Like, I don't know why I played those two games like in 20, 
16-ish, 15-ish, 14-ish. I don't remember how long it's been. Time's weird. But I played those two games, and I remember my main takeaway for Tokaiden was it felt kind of dry. It's like the systems work well, and it's like there's nothing that's like mechanically wrong with it, but it was just kind of like fight a griffin now fight a spider now here's a quest where you fight a griffin and a spider now here's a quest where you fight a griffin and a spider in this specific environment now here's a quest where you fight a griffin and a spider with some other little minor change and it just felt like really like just dry uh, like that i don't type know of, that type of gameplay design is very common in like portable games uh i guess you don't really have much portable games anymore or maybe switch or whatever but like the sort of mission based just sort of permutes permutations on like the same idea just with slight variations over and over yeah, at some point, to, like, play it like on a commute or whatever. Yeah, at some point, like I enjoyed the combat and I enjoyed the art, and I enjoyed the game, and I don't remember anything about the story. <laughs> but I just um, remember thinking, like, just that it felt really kind of like I don't want to fight this thing again. Like, I don't want like I like I've done this. Give me something new. Like I wish it just had a twinge more variety to it. I will say one interesting thing about Tokiden Two is well, twofold. First off, you have this feature called the Demon Arm, which lets you. Um, basically slingshot two monsters or even like in the environment like trees you can slingshot onto them and basically just swing through the air as long as you still have stamina which is interesting and instead of it being mission structure well it is mission structure still if you want to but instead of it being like segmented levels each mission takes place in a portion of the larger open world and it's actually interesting because you can just run out of the town immediately into the world and send, and hey, you're you're playing Tokiden. It's different from Tokiden 1 and Kiwami, which was very much the older Monster Hunter style of having specific like areas that you would just teleport to. So I'd say Tokiden 2 is probably a bit more unique just by the aspect of it being one big world that you're just segmented into for each of the missions. And you can just run out into the open world and like do mission, like do little like missions that way, which is somewhat interesting, but I, I don't know. I don't know. The uh, story seems interesting enough so far. I'm not sure if that would be enough to like hold my interest for a lot for too long though, but who knows it, I'm not even sure if the story itself would take place through just like the low rank equivalents or if it would also include the higher rank equivalent or whatnot. I will, I do have to say I'm interested. I'm surprised that Tokiden 2 didn't get an expansion like Tokiden 1 did. I'm guessing it must've bombed in Japan pretty hard that they just gave up on it. It's kind of weird how we had kind of that era of Monster Hunter clones, and I feel like we moved out of that. Yeah. Well, it's because it makes sense because the PSP was very popular for Monster Hunter. And so a lot of developers that made Vita games were like, well, there's no Monster Hunter on Vita. Maybe we can fill that niche. And so you had like Koei Tecmo try it with Tokiden. You had Sony try it a couple of times with both Soul Sacrifice and Freedom War. So in retrospect, I'd say that both of those had enough like differentiate like differentiation on their own yeah on their own that it wasn't necessarily clones like soul sacrifice like you played it too so you can you know what i mean when i say that yeah it has similarities with monster hunter but the game itself is very different so yeah, yeah. i i don't remember if this is like a very specific weapon that i had but i had like a cursed arm machine gun thing 
I don't remember. Like, it's really foggy, but I, I played that game a lot differently. I was I was like a ranged character, which you can do obviously in ways in Monster Hunter. But I guess I just took the well, opportunity to to well, play. It's less it that you even it's less that you even had like weapons. You had different spells that you could equip. And then, right. like the big thing with, uh, I'm not sure if you just played the normal school sacrifice or if you played Delta. Yeah, it, Delta it did. was a normal one. Oh well, Delta added in a few things, like being able to like merge spells together and stuff, which was really interesting, and also added some more story. I'd say the strongest aspect of Soul Sacrifice actually was the story, though the um, artistic design, the aesthetics were pretty good too. It had a very striking art style for the areas and the monster design and whatnot. It was very. Kind of, I remember. I, I remember being like very grimy, but like deliberately so. Uh, I, I mean, it was grim in both aspects of the word. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Soul Sacrifice. I feel like that's a game that, even more so than many of the Vita games that eventually got ported to PS4, I feel like that one deserved it more than some of the others. Like, but uh, it's a shame that that series is dead. It, it's surprising because it's like the one game that i feel like people that have played it really really enjoyed but it's like the one game that concept made that actually has a positive legacy because <laughs> yeah that's com it was concept the, the same people that went on to make mighty number no. nine. Oh, i did not know this at all okay <laughs> yeah i would not i would not have i would not have tied those two games together yeah soul sacrifice was kaji and afune's baby it's weird to think it is a good game. Uh, yep. It'd be interesting to see if any of those, like, I don't know. I feel like there's so many Sony legacy titles that I think you, that Sony kind of have to like, like let go of. Sony's well, Soul Sacrifice, even more so than the ever like Vita games. Like even Gravity Rush, I don't think is going to happen anymore. But like Soul Sacrifice and Freedom Wars, they're they're double fucked just because like Monster Hunter World was such a success. It's like, oh, we don't. I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, why go up against Rise or whatever's following world just to get, you know, stomped when we can just do something, yeah. do something different. Yeah. But that it's a covers shame. us a for, unless you had any other follow final thoughts, I think that kind of covers us for the four well, we've been playing. I guess I, well, I just remembered that, oh, technically I have been playing something else. Uh, so Utoharu Yomono Prelude to the Fallen came out on PC uh, yesterday, and I've put like three hours into the PC port. There's not much to talk about. It's basically, I reviewed Prelude to the Fallen, so it's like not much different about the game itself. I reviewed the previous Utoharu Mono PC ports. There's not much different about this port compared to the previous ones, for better or worse. <laughs> um... It's, I guess, the most interesting thing to talk about, and I, this isn't really on the news docket, so I'll just mention it here, but uh, the two Utuaru Mono, like, sequel games, like Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth, got delisted from PSN yesterday. Oh, yeah, I saw that, because the license expired. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, um, <laughs> I had my issues with the PC ports, but now it's like, well... <laughs> If you want to play the whole trilogy, you're kind of forced to play it on PC now because, well, Prelude to the Fallen is still on PS4 and Vita for who knows how long. But if you want to play uh, the rest of the series, you might as well just get the whole trilogy on PC because, yeah. But how would they be delisted off of 
the Sony storefront, but not Steam. It's because they're different publishers. Oh, that's why. Okay. It was Atlas originally, but they no longer have the license. Yeah, and I mean, I don't see them, like, going out of their way to get the licenses again, because, well, the whole... (sighs) They localized those games, like, those were basically the last non-Atlas, non-Sega games that Atlas localized, I feel like. Yeah, when when Sega acquired Atlas, like, before that point, there was a period of time where Atlas USA did branch out to localize other stuff, indie stuff, other Japanese games... But basically, now that they're also Sega, they just don't do that anymore. So uh, this Utuara Mono dual, dual, duology is sort of like the last, one of the last non-Atlas Sega games they, they did before that acquisition kind of finalized. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a shame that it's not available on Vita and PS4 anymore. It makes me very happy I picked up physical copies when I did, because undoubtedly in the near future, those prices are going to skyrocket, especially Massive Truth, because that only got a, a Vita physical in North America, not Europe. So that one's going to have people from Europe wanting to grab it too. Um, so the port itself... Just to kind of refresh people on it, the problems I had with the Mass Deception and Mass of Truth uh, ports was basically everything in regards to the controls and the, like, um, yeah, everything in regards to controls was fine. I felt like the original ports were pretty good in, in the sense that they had good keyboard and mouse controls, they had good gamepad controls, they had the ability to swap the button inputs to whatever controller you were using. And I think they've just added more, so there's also, like, Switch Pro controller inputs if you want to use that, too, now, which is pretty neat. But um, the main problem with the port was that it was locked to 720p and 30fps. And you could set the output resolution to higher, but it would just be upscaling from 720p. And when I played the ports on my 1440p monitor, it, the scaling wasn't even integer scaling, so it was really blurry, even though, obviously, if you're upscaling from 720p to 1440p, it should be sharp, which I honestly prefer, but... So there was problems with that. Um, that was a year ago, so I was hoping that there would be, like, a patch eventually, and uh, I was assuming at this point that if there was going to be a change to any of the ports, it would be when they released Prelude to the Fallen on PC. And turns out that didn't happen. Uh, Bummer. It it's tough. It's tough to talk about because, like, when it comes to PC like releases, it really depends on how forthcoming the original Japanese developer is. Because there are some Japanese developers that let their partners kind of do whatever they want, and then there's others that want to handle everything on their own. And it's incredibly hard to push changes through. And I feel like this is probably more of the latter because I remember when I was first going through the PC versions of Mass Inception, Master Troop, first off, it's not that the engines themselves couldn't support higher resolutions because I remember when I did those reviews for the ports um, a year ago, I specifically loaded up Mask of Deception's PS3 version in an emulator and was able to get it running at 4K. So clearly the engine can support it. It's just, yeah. Um, but how is the, uh, does the, uh, the first game that just got released have the same problems or no? Yes. It has the exact uh, same problem. Okay. Cool. 
it's disappointing, but again, I'm not going to blame the publisher because it feels like... The thing I was going to get to is I even looked at the file structure for the PS3 version, the Vita version, the PC version, and it's basically identical. Like, it's clear that whoever did the port, I'm assuming Aqua Plus, didn't want to do anything too drastic with the ports. It feels like they pretty much just tidied up whatever the development version of the game was that obviously would have run on PC, and they didn't do much tweaking for the actual resolution and whatnot, because even the PS4 versions of the Utoaru Mono games were at 720p for whatever reason. So, yeah. So basically they just said, we're going to make it playable on PC, and that's it. Like That's, that's our benchmark. They go, okay. Yeah. Did you I mention mean, how it did alter the translation for two oh, yes, yes. notorious uh, lines? So. Yeah, that's the um, other major thing that I'm going to have to mention in my review, is that, so, Nippon uh, Software, well, NIS America, did the localization for Prelude to the Fall, which was the remake for the first game, not Atlas, who did the translations for Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth, which are the second and third game, respectively. Um... Atlas's translation on the two sequel games were pretty famous in the community for being really, really well done. Like, and I feel like everyone that's played those games kind of agrees that they're probably some of the best localizations of all time. They're really good. So obviously when NIS America did the localization for Prelude to the Fall and they had some pretty big shoes to fill. And I think I think I don't think it's controversial to say that I think Atlas's localizations are a little bit better regarded overall. Not perfect, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so Nisa did a decent job with Prelude to the Fall, and it was a good translation. It wasn't as good as the two sequel games, but it was about as good as people were hoping for. I'd say from NIS America, which that sounds rude, and it probably is to a certain extent. But like you said, like m- most people accept that. Atlas's translation chops are probably a little bit better than the competition at this point. So, um, the main issues that Prelude to the Fallen's translation had was there was a number of lines that read pretty weird. Uh, the main one was this dialogue that the protagonist said that seemed really out of left field to the point where people were wondering if it was actually like a translation note that got stuck into the actual translation um i'll just mention that when you pointed these out to me i have not played these games i had no context for it and out of context the old translations that nis america did did seem weird to me like why would they put it like that like or why would they say it like that and I know sometimes you need the context, but I feel like in this case, there was no there was no context that made it seem proper. Yeah, proper but anyways, way. this was expected that it would have been fixed up on the PC versions, because even though um, when the PC versions for Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth happened last year, the um, Shiravoon even said, um, the publisher, said that they were doing another like editing pass, or well, more like a proofreading pass, and they said that they would have made more changes but pretty much the translation was already really, really high quality for the two sequel games, so they didn't need to. Um, but the fact that they were even going over the translation in the first place for those original ports, it made sense that there were going to probably be some changes for NIS America's translation, just because it's not quite as um, polished as the two sequel games. And 
I think everyone expected these two lines in particular to be fixed, and they were. So, so I, I don't think this is a spoiler because you tweeted it out publicly. But there's like, like uh, from what I can tell, there's like a girl who's having amnesia, and she asks like, "Who the fuck?" Are no, they? no, 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 Am no. That's no. That the dialogue was from the protagonist. The girl doesn't have amnesia. She is sick. She's blind. She was asking okay. about two characters that the protagonist didn't know who they were, and so he asked, who and who are they? The original uh, translation was literally, who the fuck are they? And Which, that, that, so, okay, that, so I have the context wrong, but it still seems just like a really unnecessary swear that yeah. is like way too hostile. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to put up my, I'll probably write up something really quickly, either today or tomorrow for the PC port. It's Again, if you're going to get into Twilight Mono, this is the best version of the first game to play. And if you're going to be playing on PC, well, if you haven't already bought the uh, two sequel games on console, you're basically stuck playing on PC. Which is fine, because the PC versions are still at least as good as the PS4 version. It's just disappointing that there's no proper resolution options. Hopefully now that it seems clear that it probably won't happen like through an official patch, maybe some modders will finally like step up to the plate and get it working, because I mean clearly it, it should be possible. If you can get it working on emulation, it shouldn't be impossible to get it working like on the native PC version. It's just a matter of somebody figuring out how to do so. So yeah. Well here's hoping. Now, did that already release, or were you playing it pre-release? Uh, they sent today. out code. They sent out code literally like five minutes before it went live. Ah, uh, okay, so it all lined up. All right. Yeah. Okay, so that was a really great roundup for everything we've been playing in January. Now, as we go into the topical section, there really isn't any major headliner for this week of January. So it's just so going to be a bit of a grab bag. So our new section will be a little bit more rapid fire grab bag, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see if we, we find an interesting topic that we linger on, but there's really no like major announcement, major headline, just little things. So let's just go through it. Uh, we decided we had to start with one, so we start with this one. Xseed has announced an expansion pass for the upcoming Story of Seasons, Pioneers of Olive Town. So... As someone who hasn't played Harvest Moon slash Story of Seasons, is an expansion pass typical or is this new? I don't think they're know? typical. Yeah, I didn't think <laughs> yeah, so either. It's still kind of different. The 3DS games actually had DLC. Uh, the whole reason I know that is because there was um, when Xseed was doing the DLC for one of the uh, Story of Season games on uh, yeah. Yeah. 3DS, there was a Hamtaro collaboration in there that they had to axe because they couldn't get the license to uh, localize it. Uh-huh. One, thing that I will one thing that I will say about this expansion pass is that uh, it actually goes into a fair amount of detail where we have seen a few publishers they say like, you get three new story episodes. What they are, we don't know yet. <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah. Where this yeah. one actually says like, all the time. Where this Especially one actually Bonnie says like, I'm going to call out Bonnie Namco on this. They do this all the time. Like, there's going to be story updates. We don't know what they are, or they 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 don't say anything about them, and I don't I assume you know they know Kuni too. Yeah. So for this, um, I think God Eater pass, did this. I, yeah, they always do it. 
So for this expansion pass for Pioneers of Town, they actually say, like, part one in April will give you more attire for the protagonist and will give you a mystery file sub-scenario. Part two in May, uh, Windswept Falls, a brand new area with four new characters. Uh, Part three in June, school uniforms and another, you know, like, they actually kind of go into, like, specifics, like what you're going to get each month, which is like, you know, bravo. Like, thank you for actually (laughs) providing some detail to what we're putting money down for for this. So uh, let's see. I think that pretty much covers it. So expansion pass. Uh, what's the price on this? I'm looking for it. The 20. set. It is says six- twenty bucks. Okay, yeah. The set. If you get the game and the expansion pass, it's sixty nine ninety nine. Expansion pass twenty bucks. So games. The game itself is coming out in March. So starting the month after in April, you'll start getting these little DLC drops. So pretty cool. Pretty typical. We also got an update for Genshin Impact version 1.3 is launching on February 3rd. It includes a new character, a new festival. Unfortunately, Josh isn't here to actually talk a little bit more in detail about this. But I do know that we have a sizable contingent of uh, people in our Discord, in our Mobits channel, who are into Genshin Impact. And Chow, I believe, is also currently still playing this. <laughs> or Andrea, if we could get her here. But... Uh, Big update for Genshin Impact. It is looks like it has kind of settled on like it's not as I I remember when this game first released last year. It was really surprising how big a splash it made to see like all the coverage like from big titans like Games uh, Gamespot and IGN. And I feel like that's kind of sh- shifted away a bit. But I'm, I know that there's still a sizable contingent that is still up to date on this game so i think the last major update for genshin impact actually added like a new explorable region i don't think this game or this update does it's like a festival this lantern festival and a new character and then it also has a few like customization and other like usability updates as well part of the part of this patch yeah the so. new character is Xiao, builds a pole arm uh i guess i don't know enough about like the characters to know like how that's yeah like, I, I can't say, like, he'll, he'll fit in this role i know that people seem excited for this character but then again it seems like they're always excited for the new for characters new character. so, yeah, w- yeah whenever there's a new character uh it just seems like everyone goes gaga over them i haven't seen one that people have been like turned off on just by the i outset, don't want to be a show I think I mentioned in the past that like I was interested in trying out Genshin Impact until I found out about the monetization and the way the constellation system works. So it's like I'm happy for people that still play this game and enjoy it. I wish I could enjoy it, but I just don't want to support that practice. I mean, I'm similar in just that I don't really have interest in this sort of gotcha style game. I mean, that's just not me. So you know. Well, maybe uh, when once Josh is back, hopefully next week, we'll we'll maybe circle back around to this to get a more uh, in tune. Yeah, I know he's kind. He's it seems like it seems like they're too. supporting it well um, in terms of updates. Like I think the last update was just December, and this update's February. So you know, uh, yeah, I've actually, out, I've actually uh, seen some people. 3rd. I've actually seen some people sort of like maybe half jokingly, half seriously complain like they're putting out these updates too fast because I can't I can't keep up, sort of thing. Uh, but, I feel that so, I don't play Genshin Impact, right. but those other games I mentioned earlier, I feel that sometimes where you have this desire to want to keep up. Like you're glad it's not stale, but it's like there's always more to do. Yep, that'll come out February third, and we'll we'll circle back around on Josh uh, hopefully once we get a chance. Speaking of patches, we got the final patch for the PC version of Horizon Zero Dawn, which 
they, they say, say it's the final patch? They, 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 they didn't definitively say final. They just said, like, here's our last, like, here's a major patch, and we're going to focus less on it from now. So, oh, I guess the wording is they will shift to less frequent updates as they focus on Horizon Forbidden West. So That's exciting, the, at least, like, to hear that. I'm surprised they weren't already... Well, I guess they, most of them are focused well, on that. Well, from what but... I understand with the PC port of Horizon, uh, it was originally done by a different studio, and then it had a bunch of issues, so Gria, or Gorilla eventually had to hop in and start fixing like their shit. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. Well, at least that's why I remember. Brian, Brian had like, actually pretty good luck with the original build, but obviously it was a little bit more mixed overall. But yeah, it seems like they updated it quite a bit. So They, fi- they fixed some graphics setting know. presets, some crash errors, some resolution errors when playing in windowed or borderless windowed mode. Um, the main issue that I had that I don't know if it was fixed recently was there was like this stutter whenever the UI updated. It felt like this really weird, like almost arbitrary thing. Like, why would okay. that happen? I guess that's I don't know one about thing that. I've that's one thing I've been reading about. It's maybe not necessarily with the UI, but it used to be that the game would take a while to load every time because it would load like a shader cache or something. And oh. the idea of that was to prevent um, stuttering in the actual game. But now they have it so that it's just like all, like when you're running the game, it does it in the background. So people are having like stuttering issues with that or something. Yeah, I remember when I played this and I actually wrote a fairly positive uh review of it and then i felt kind of bad because most people didn't have that but you know i can only write the experience i had and then uh peter toman or uh god what's his name what what was his tag name Dronte. i don't know why i forgot that yeah he actually wrote a a little piece on it was either ign or pc gamer where he basically said like this is uh what you should this is how you should set up your your drivers or whatever to run this with like the uh the least headache and that happened to be like how i typically run my games so I forget the specifics, but like running it in uh, full screen, running it uh, with a certain refresh rate on things like that. And I feel like, oh, I was already doing all these things. I mean, all the things he suggested for the best experience I was already doing. So that's, that was kind of like my default experience. Uh, so hopefully it's in a I, I still I thought the game was just OK. I thought it was kind of very. Hmm, it felt kind of safe in a lot of ways, but it was ambitious in others. I know that's kind of very like equivocating. But it didn't really, like, I guess I'm having a hard time remembering and having only played it, like, four or five months ago. Like, it, nothing really stuck with me. It just felt kind of, like, by the numbers. That's that's a good word for it. Um, but it is cool that it is available to play on PC. So uh, it, it does kind so of make you wonder, though. My, my favorite part about Horizon Zero Dawn is, like, the ranged-based, trap-based combat. It's a little bit more deliberate, not just, like, melee combos all the time. So, actually, and to be honest, and the melee in Horizon melee is kind of, like, the worst part of it. So... <laughs> Um, so it's like I kind of like the style of combat that it uses, but it would be nice if they maybe shaped up the melee a bit for the next game. I re- I can't remember. Did the first game have underwater exploration? No, it didn't. Okay, good. You could swim, that's... but not underwater. That's yeah. that was new. Like that's the, 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 the announcement the trailer for the new game, it, it wasn't like like actual gameplay footage, but it showed her underwater. So presumably, yeah. you can go underwater. Because usually, I'm not a big fan of underwater exploration but i don't know what it was about that trailer but they just made it look really cool that trailer overall is like a fantastic trailer i'm so excited yeah this this year presumably if all the dates that sony has been teasing like hold true this will be a really good year like 
first like real year for PlayStation Five. Mm. So this does also make you kind of specifically wonder what the next Sony title to make its way to PC would be, because obviously they kind of stumbled with Horizon, but maybe it was also a learning experience. So now they kind of. I know, think God uh, of War is is a uh, is a good. Um, I feel like if I had guess. to put Seems money like down, that would be, that, yeah, that'd be yeah. my guess. Kind of yeah. get these, yeah. kind of try to expand the the pool where it's like, all right, anyone who would have purchased this on console has already done it. So, you know, what audience have we not tapped into yet? And like God of War has a sequel coming out. It's not similar to old where like they're not like they don't, we no one cares about it anymore sort of thing. So, yeah. So yeah, it's pretty much the same boat as Horizon. <laughs> I mean, clearly the Horizon port did well. Like, I think Sony themselves said that the main problem with, that they foresaw with the sales was just because of the problems with the port. So, like, clearly, if they 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 seem to understand if the port's better from the get-go, that it'll probably do a little bit better. So, yeah. Here's another topic that I maybe wish we had Josh here, but... Crunchyroll Games has announced and released Prince, uh, a localization for Princess Connect Redive, which is now available for iOS and Android. It originally released in Japan in 2018. Now, I haven't don't... downloaded it, but I might actually try it out because like, the only other mobile game that I've put any significant amount of time into is Psy Games um, with uh, Dragalia Lost. And they're relatively well known for being a bit more generous when it comes to like what you can do as a free-to-play player. So I feel like I might as well just give it a shot for that alone. Um, I do know from the outside perspective that apparently Crunchyroll has a kind of a dubious track record for localizing things. And so people yeah. have kind of already been I turned saw off. I saw that there were some, some complaints that were like not really okay good complaints, but there were some that were maybe a little bit more valid. So you kind of get a mix of like maybe genuine criticism, but also like, this is always the thing I grapple with, is that right. there's, like, localization issues, talking about them in this day and age is a minefield, because even if you have, like, legitimate complaints about changed content, there's so many chuds out there that make a mountain out of a molehill and are so reactionary that if you say anything about it, you don't want to get lumped in with them, so most right. of the time I just oh, shut up. Um, so Crunchyroll Games, they have... A, the whole reason people are probably up in arms about them, even though Princess Connect seems to be a good localization so far, is because of what they did with their very first localization, which was the Don Machi or how to, um, is it okay to, is it, well, is it wrong to pick up girls in the dungeon mobile game? Yeah. They lo- when they announced that, they said there was, um, there was going to be uncensored with a trailer showcasing features that were ended up being cut from the Western localization of the game. And I feel like regardless of how you feel about content changes, there is a legitimate reason to be upset when a company says that they're going to, they're not going to censor something. And then later on they say, actually, no, this is censored and it's just a mess. So it makes sense that people would, would like have an eye on, Crunchyroll games after that. But again, this specific game, like the stuff people are complaining about isn't censorship. People are saying, oh, why why are why did they make this character speak like a total fucking dork? The reason why is because they speak like a dork in Japanese. It fits the character. 
It's just... I, uh, I saw two examples. One of them seems like a dumb argument, and one of them seems like, I can see why people find this weird. There was, like, one character says, like, that's a bra moment. And, like, that's sort of like a meme. You know, <laughs> how will that age? Like, I don't know. Like, do people even say bra moment? Like, I, I remember that from, like, two years ago. I don't do know. Do they? Like, they do. Um, <laughs> but the thing about the character... one where a person, a character said, like, like Mr. Nice Guy... And like in Japanese, they say Onichan, which means usually like big brother. But apparently, in this context, saying Mr. Nice Guy actually makes a lot more sense than saying big brother. So like that change yeah. seemed like a good change. The bra moment, I'm like, eh, that's kind of that's kind of. I'd actually I mean. say that from like the localization people that I follow, most people agree that the bra moment thing is actually the one that makes the most sense. And really? there might have been better phrasing for Mr. Nice Guy because of the connotations that Nice Guy has in English. So, um, are you, yeah, are you guys because... telling me that uh, localization is tricky and hard and not? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I'll just tell you guys this. Before I started learning Japanese, I was a bit of a chud when it came to localization things. As soon as I started learning about, like, like actually studying the language and learning about the process of translating a game, I realized, oh, no, nobody's out there trying to specifically censor your video games. Translation's hard. Many of the times when changes are done, it's not because of the people actually translating the game. It's an external factor, whether it's because of the company trying to go for a different age rating or trying to market it to a different group. It, the actual translators are just doing their jobs. Well, also you run into this Mr. Nice Guy thing where it's like Onichan is used in a certain way in Japanese where we don't really we don't call that, that sort of phrasing for relationships is not used in English. Uh, so how, how do you translate that? <laughs> basically... I can see exactly, from my perspective, what it was like. Again, I haven't played the Japanese version. One common trope is when you're talking about an older, like, um, an older dude that, well, well an older person that's, that, um, colloquially, you can just say Onichan to say, to like, little kids will say that to older, like, um, older kids or older adults to be, it's, it's kind of just, out of respect. Like a term of endearment or respect? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not necessarily just saying specifically brother. So it's like saying Mr. Nice Guy. I can see how they came to that. I don't think I would have made that choice just again because of the connotations. But again, that's the thing about localization. No languages are one to one. There's always going to have to be concessions that have to be made. Not, not also got to mention that no languages are fixed ideas. They're both constantly evolving. So you've got both languages changing over time where you have to think about connotations in both languages. So Yeah, it, it's, it's tough stuff, um, especially when it comes to a long-running mobile game like this. It's, it, it, it's a lot you have to consider. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any specific like major issues with Princess Connect's localization. And it is one case where I can understand why people were skeptical from the jump, but now that enough times passed since, like, it it launched i feel like people really do need to kind of like get their get themselves together it's like really my last my last comment is i, I haven't really I, I don't know japanese at all but i took several years of french and it's just like even then it's just like any translation of any language you can't do it one-to-one -one. it's just there are phrases and terms and use how words are used in for in 
certain Especially situations that are just don't that don't happen in other languages. So, so you have to like try to emulate it or equivocate it, uh, equivocate it in some way, and it's just everyone's gonna have a slightly different maybe perspective on how it should be done. I feel like it's also especially important to mention that Princess Connect is a bit more of a humorous game and series. <laughs> and yeah. translating humor is especially difficult. And yeah. you're inevitably going to have to make a lot of changes that don't... Okay. The best way to, ex to explain localization to anyone listening that maybe isn't familiar with it is that when it comes to game, when it comes to literature, your best bet is to, is to capture the intent yep. of the line, not the exact wording yep. so especially when it comes agree. to especially when it comes to humor you're not going to be able to translate every single joke from japanese to english so sometimes it's better to just put an equivalent joke for the situation in english yeah especially if it's like wordplay because then obviously you kind of have to oh god wordplay Yep. Japanese. Well, I is a do like it's it's not really humorous stuff, but I do like how in um, Aegis Rim, which I played recently, that it actually, if you go into, I don't know how much of this was added for the English release, but if you go into the data logs for whatever they call them in that game, it actually explains like when it talks about certain phrasing that might not 100% come across in English. There's actually a little bit like a like parenthetical, like this is in the original Japanese, what this is, is this. And it's a little bit like dictionary. It's a little bit like dry, but it's it kind of worked I in that like, game because that game already yeah. had like this emphasis on revisiting things and reading about like the order of events and what was said and who said what. And so it worked in yeah. that game. I wouldn't want that in every game. Like we're like, oh, we're just going to translate it straight and then just have a yeah, footnote. Yeah, 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 or whatever. Yeah, translation notes usually aren't best practice, but there are some instances where they do make sense, and I feel like Aegis Rim is a good example of that for sure. So, anyways, Princess Connect Redive released a couple days ago, January nineteenth, in English. Uh, well, I, I'm guessing if anyone's played it, it would have been Josh. We miss you, Josh. Yeah, we actually he actually has advertised our Discord channel to play it. Ah, okay. Well, we'll rope him in. We'll, we'll have to hold him, hold his feet to these fires about Princess Connect and uh, about Genshin Impact. All right, here's something that uh, James can talk about. Uh, James, tell me about Kowloon High School Chronicle because I don't know I anything have no about idea. this. I have oh, no don't? idea about this game. <laughs> oh, okay. Nope. I thought you did. All right. Let me just read it. Uh, let me just read the the press release. So Arc System Works and Toy Box Inc. have announced that Kowloon High School Chronicle will release in the West on the Nintendo uh, on the Nintendo Switch eShop on February 4th. So this is a PlayStation 2 game from 2004 published by Atlas. However, it had not had an official English release until now. I've watched the trailer for this, and it kind of looks like a dungeon crawler slash VN. Like some of the gameplay yeah. looks like something that Adam would really like, but apparently that's it's kind of like I've heard it described to me that it's kind of like the tactical gameplay in Ujavara Mono, where it's it's a kind of a, a small fraction of the game, the dungeon crawling aspect of this. So yeah, I they think, call I think it, the, the, the interesting thing here is just like this is a game that sort of no one expected to get an English release. It's not like. It's not a splashy franchise. It doesn't come from a big developer or a big like. It's come from an Arc System Work as a publisher, but it's not like it's not really what Arc Systems Work Arc System Works is known for with their fighting games. So the fact that it's just getting an English release is just sort of like, oh, this is 
How do it's I put this? People that, people say like, like Persona you... is niche. This is like an actually niche, like J- Japanese game that you know. <laughs> yeah, this is like an actually niche game that doesn't probably doesn't have a big market for it, but people will be interested to try it out. So it's kind of cool yeah, that think, people will have that opportunity. I think I'm interested in checking it out just because, again, because of how niche it is. Like, I've never heard of it, so. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a, I, the reason why I tried to hand it off over to you unsuccessfully is because I just assumed, like, oh, it's a visual novel uh, in, some, in some aspects, so James must know about it. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm sorry for having put you in a box, James. But anyway, well, just because I play a ton of dungeon RPGs and visual novels doesn't mean that I know every single one that exists. <laughs> so uh, I guess since since we are all kind of green on what this game is, again, it's Kowloon High School Chronicle. Take the role of a young man who appears as a transfer student at Kamiyoshi Academy in Shinjuku. While he seems like a normal student, he's actually a treasure hunter. His mission is to discover a mysterious ruin hidden deep beneath the school, etc., etc. So it does have some dungeon crawling gameplay, uh, visual novel style dialogues uh, coming out on Switch uh, in February. So we get a kind of a lot of these early February things of these little tiny games, these interesting little projects. Again, it was a PS2 game in 2004 that never saw a release. So kind of out of nowhere kind of cool and yeah neat <laughs> maybe we'll cover it if uh we have a staff member interested yep all right we have a few things that kind of uh, popped up in just the last couple of days that aren't really covered on our site but we can talk about them because they do kind of tangentially relate to the rpg site coverage um the first one is this weird oddity where people had noticed that in some stores that the Microsoft Xbox Live Gold cards were seemingly going to be increased in price until it was confirmed that they were. And it was going to be six months for $60, which used to be the whole Oof. year cost for uh, Microsoft Xbox Live Gold. Now, and then there was also changes to the one month and three month plans. And it's it, in general, it's it's basically a price doubling and then there was a lot of like, obviously kind of like, what in the world? They're doubling the price on this. I guess they're trying to push people to Game Pass Ultimate, which includes Xbox Live Gold, which is, I believe, $15 a month. So it seemed like people were really cynical about it. And I think kind of appropriately so, because we've seen this sort of stuff where like PlayStation Plus went from $50 to $60 or the Netflix price increases a couple bucks every couple of years. You know, it's kind of one of these inevitabilities. But then here's Microsoft doubling the price of gold and then the kicker is is that like within 24 hours they reverted the price back to its original what its current price they they're not going to go through with this price increase and on top of that they've kind of given kind of like this semi committed statement about removing the requirement of Xbox Live Gold for free to play games which is something I think they definitely should be doing. Whether, whether this was the kick in the pants thing. A long time ago. Like, yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, basically, people like always said it's kind of bullshit that you needed gold for free-to-play games because you don't even need that on like Switch. Like Fortnite, you don't need Nintendo Switch Online for that, even though it's only like 15 bucks a year, so it doesn't matter that much in the long run anyways. But um, yeah, so I feel that's like... Like, I, I feel like it has to have been Microsoft was trying to force people into um, gold, um, Game Pass Ultimate because the pricing for that wasn't changing. So they wanted people to be like, oh, it's only this much more for Game Pass Ultimate. I'll go with that. And I'm sure there were people at Microsoft that said, this is a horrible way of going about this. 
And yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's someone at Microsoft that's saying, like, I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. What were you expecting? Yeah. So it's like, you never see any subscription service, like, double in price, like, at, at a singular, like, price increase. That's, like, unheard of. Like, especially not, considering, yeah. like, especially considering PlayStation Plus is still 60 bucks. It's like, yeah. This yeah, just feels uh, like an unforced error. Like, no one was talking about this, like, two and a half days ago. And so they started noticing these cards coming into retailers. And then it was just like, oh, actually, it's we're not going to do that anyway, because apparently people don't like the idea. Who would have thought? It just feels like, like, man. And they still have egg on their face, because, like, I feel like Microsoft was getting a reputation for being a bit more consumer-friendly uh, yeah, consumer yeah. recently. And they're like, even though they pulled this back, it's like, this is like a reminder to everyone that, oh, 2013 wasn't actually all that long ago. <laughs> so, Well, it's like, I wouldn't mind, but this sort of thing is especially kind of like jarring in the middle of a pandemic. It's like when they, they raised like the next gen game prices to 60 quid, 70 dollars, like, are they really doing that now? Like, I know, I know they're a business, but like, who has all that money? It just made me go, well, I'm not getting an Xbox for a while. Not to mention, it's like, I, I, I subscribe to Jim Sterling's view that there is no reasonable, like, defense for the $70 price point for games nowadays. Um, but, so I agree with that. But it's like, yeah, it's like, during doing this during a pandemic, it's just like, just a horrible idea. Horrible idea. So. At least they reversed it. Or, you can be cynical and say, they they were never going to do it. You you can say like whatever you want, but at least it's not happening now. That's well, apparently apparently tweeted today, just a couple hours ago. Uh, Daniel Ahmad ZuGX, who is uh, usually kind of has his finger on the pulse on this sort of thing, did mention that the free to play announcement was apparently in the works already. Which I can kind of see that maybe, but it feels like oh. Like it's like it's like they're using that as like the band aid. Like, oh, we're sorry for attempting this. Please, by the way, uh, now you can play Fantasy Star or Fortnite for free. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, the what an unforced error. It is like, man. I, I, yeah. I guess it's on. As you can tell by my lack of words, I have no words for this. It's just like <laughs> you you ha you're garnering this. You've garnered a fair amount of. It wasn't perfect going into this uh, generation, obviously, with the naming and things like that. Um. And obviously, a lot of their big titles are still kind of years away, but you've just garnered this goodwill, and it's it's a lot easier to lose it than it is to acquire it. And this is just going to be a kind of a blot for this year that they'll have to kind of dig themselves out of a, a hole that they dug themselves. Messy, kind of dumb. I'm not a I'm not an MBA, and I'm not an economist, but what did they think the response would be to a potential doubling in price? On a similar kind of dour news, we did also learn, sorry, George, that Vicarious Visions will be absorbed into Blizzard. And a report from Bloomberg says that they will be working on a Diablo 2 remaster slash remake that was originally being developed by the team that did Warcraft 3 Reforged, which has since been apparently like dissolved or restructured. Vicarious Visions is a studio that brought the seemingly wonderful Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remaster last year. So now they are uh, wholly into Blizzard, apparently. So. so, my thinking on this is, to think positively, they are fantastic at remakes slash remasters, so Diablo, Diablo 2 is going to look 
it's going to be amazing, probably. But then to think negatively, this is really stupid and dumb. And Tony and the weird so thing good, is, and is even that the same trilogy was so good. What are they doing? It's just that, like, the, a Diablo 2 remaster has been kind of like one of those long speculated, easy to guess. They're probably working like, on like, it. Like, like eventualities sort of thing. It's, it's, it's the sort of thing where if you want insider cred, you just say they're working on this. And then when they finally announce it, you're like, <laughs> I knew it all along or whatever. And like, what, what a weird kind of dour way to like get something more concrete on it. Like, by the way, uh, this is what this team is going to be working on now that they're wholly absorbed into Blizzard. So I, I wouldn't mind like if, if it was just the news like, oh, yeah, that's what they're working on next. Like, cool. Awesome. OK, they'll do Tony Hawk after. But like to find out that, yeah, no, they're they're part of Blizzard now. They're never going to make anything else like that because like, well, why would they? Congrats, so, Vicarious Visions. You made one of our best selling non like what, you made the best selling crash game, I think, of all time with uh, the insane trilogy. Yeah, you get to work on Overwatch 2. <laughs> and yeah, also so that. That brought me to an interesting... I was thinking about it last night, because I was really annoyed about it. Like, Well, annoyed. You all know that I love Tony Hawk, so I was thinking about this a lot. Um, I was so excited for Tony Hawk 3 and 4. That would have been so cool. Maybe it'll still happen, but I doubt it. But where is Overwatch 2? Like, I I know there's the whole thing about... Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so everything's harder, but I, I don't even remember when Overwatch 2 was announced. It was only when this was said that I was like, oh yeah, that's and Overwatch 2 is sort of weird in that it's like an update. It's like a, it's not like yeah, a yeah, separate yeah. thing. It's completely it, it's weird. So here's one paragraph from the Bloomberg report on this Vicarious Visions news that I just want to read just because it provides all the context that we have kind of glossed over. So the studio of Vicarious Visions has been a subsidiary of Activision since 2005. It has worked on franchises such as Skylanders, Crash Bandicoot, and Tony Hawk. But now it will focus entirely on Blizzard's franchises, including Diablo, instead of making its own games. So that's kind of like the kicker. Former Vicarious Vision studio head Jennifer O'Neill will take a seat on Blizzard's leadership team, reporting directly to the president. So basically, they are just going to be an internal Blizzard team now working on Blizzard games. Which I I guess, like like George said, uh, Tony Hawk was good. So maybe Diablo 2 Remaster will be good. Warcraft 3 Reforged was not that great. So maybe it's good that that team has had shifted restructuring. I guess it just feels like restrictive. Like, yep, now they're only going to be doing Blizzard games until something else happens, you know? Yeah, So that and the Xbox news yesterday just made me go, like, what 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 is going on? Why why is he just behaving? (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe we got to make a uh, store page for, or not store page, website page for Diablo 2 Remaster. Because apparently that's no. a real thing now. That's the, that's the only pot. Soon, I think. Apparently people think it was going to be at BlizzCon, which I think is not. Yeah, I, I, I haven't kept track on when these cons are like actually appearing. This I feel like 2021 is still going to be a wash for any of these. Like I doubt PAX East, which is normally like in March, is going to happen. E3 is probably not going to happen, or it's going to happen in a very 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 limited fashion i feel like unfortunately this year is just going to be a, a wash just like last year in terms of those sorts of things all right we do have a few more little bit news i know this whole little whole podcast has kind of been bit news but a few more little things that we'll just rapid fire through to close this out um cyberpunk's patch 1.1 released yay <laughs> the first <laughs> the it first of new breaking bug 
Oh, it did. I saw that, but I don't know. Like when you see that, you don't know if that was like legit or people just uh, being cheeky. Modern vintage gamer who's uh, pretty uh, legit basically looked into it and confirmed that the bug does exist. Oh, cool! Fantastic. The first of two like actually earmarked spots on that really really bad roadmap. Patch one point one. So sometime in the future, we'll get patch one point two, which will hopefully <laughs> fix the game. We just fall by this updates. <laughs> yes. So I, I do kind of want to like, so when I re, when I played Cyberpunk, I was playing it like pre-release in terms of like guide coverage. So I had to play it like very robotically, take a lot of notes. I do kind of just want to play it like casually now, but like, I'm, I'm just going to wait like for probably like a good, a better part of a year. To, I would wait. Yeah. Just I, like I say, I've said before, I, I did really enjoy it, but now I know that there's more patches coming. I'm, I'm, not going to do any side content. That game is just shelved. Yep. So 1.1 is out. Apparently, it's still busted in several ways. Uh, we also have a surprise Switch announcement for Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. It'll be releasing on Nintendo Switch on March 16th. I don't know if this was expected. I, I wasn't expecting this. But I do think it's just like inherently kind of cool. Like, why not on Switch? Yeah. Adam, Adam was making some comments earlier that it has become clear in like the last year and a half, two years, that it feels like the Nintendo Switch, in a lot of ways, was just kind of finally able to kind of break through a, the barrier that the Wii and the Wii U couldn't in terms of third-party support. Is it as stellar as it could be? No. But the fact that you can play like Bioshock and Kingdoms of Amalur and The Outer Worlds and Witcher 3, and all these things Tyrant. on Switch. Yeah. And Doom. It's it's just like that would have been like not like a lot of those games I guess are older, which you might say is like that's that's the monkey's paw curling for Nintendo fans or whatever. But uh it just like it is I think refreshing to see that you do have these options where if you're a Switch only gamer, you can still play these things. You're not just locked out and having to play your only your first party things. You have a decent and growing and if if we keep getting little surprise announcements like this, uh support for the system where you can play these third-party games so i wouldn't mind but like doom eternal was only last year and technically kinsamla re-reckoning was only last year as well it's like it sticks well, it to be like not much of a gap depending on your technically uh, kingdom's amla re-reckoning is a okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> eight years ago but let's the, the doom one count but still you have these options on switch which you didn't have on we are we you well we had like a lot of these like Wii version of the game that was like developed by a different person or not person yeah. developer. Yeah, that weird like duality where it's like the Wii version of I don't know X Men Origins Wolverine was way different than the PS3 version or, or whatever because it was. Well, there, I know there was like some of the Call of Duties. Like there's Call of Duty World at War on Wii. I think. I, I remember some people. Some people used to swear like by the, those because of the uh, yeah most controls. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, so Kingdom to not lose the plot. Kingdoms of Amalur Re Reckoning. Adam had a pretty decent time with it. Thought it was a above average RPG. What it do does do? some things well. It also does some things kind of poorly. Very okay. briefly, it like has so many like hundreds and hundreds of side quests. It's like they they should have pared this down a bit. These are all just fetch quests. But it'll be available on Switch on March sixteenth. Pretty cool. Out of nowhere, we'll take it. Fallen Legion's Revenant has now has a demo now available on PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. Sorry, this is the uh this is the remaster, right? Mm, it's not a no? remaster. Isn't it like a sequel or game. something? Yes. 
So there was two. There was a Fallen Legion game on Vita, and then there was a Fallen Legion game on PS4, and then those got like bundled and re-released. And I forget what that's called. So I forget all the. I'm getting all the subtitles mixed up. But this is like, all right, here's a new Fallen Legion game. So okay. Anyways, the game's coming out in yeah. February. Fallen Legion Revenants now has a demo available for the two platforms it is releasing on, which is PlayStation Four and Nintendo Switch. And save progress from the demo can be transferred over to the full game. It's like an indie scale side scrolling RPG. It's like developed by a developer. I think it's called like Yummy Yummy Tummy or something like that. Some cute name. Like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> you have it written on the site as Yummy Tummy. Okay. I think it is actually Yummy Yummy Tummy, but the reason why I didn't write it like that is because like it, it formats weirdly on the site if you write it that long. Can you, but, can uh, you keep saying it? <laughs> yummy Yummy Tummy. <laughs> it's, it's, this is one of those like NIS America, we we're actually sort of talking about like Atlas used to do this, but they sometimes will publish these like smaller scale from these smaller scale developers. So this is an NIS America publication. I don't really know much about these games. I know some people like them, but you know, it's, it is a kind of a smaller, not so splashy title. Coming out to uh, it was announced uh, last June. So if you haven't kept up, it's coming out in February. And we also have another demo available uh, in Japan. That's for Disgaea 6, Defiance of Destiny. So I don't know if that does us much good, but it is slated to release this summer for us and I guess by the end of the month in Japan. So Japan has a demo now. Uh, Save data from the demo can also be transferred to that game's full version. Um, so yeah. Maybe we'll see it uh, stateside as well before our release in summer, which is still not dated. but And still a Switch exclusive for whatever reason. Yep. We, yeah, we, we bring that up every time we talk about it, but I'm, I'm, so not, I'm, I'm not against that. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so peculiar. But anyways, it, I think as someone who hasn't played this guy game, it looks fun. It looks charming. looks kind of cool. Uh, yes, please. And that kind of covers yeah. it for news. So we are working. I think we might be at a place where we can wrap up before the three hour mark. What sorcery is this? Whoa. <laughs> but I'm as we size uh, podcast for once yes so if you've made it this far uh thank you but we're not going to say we're sorry because you haven't suffered enough <laughs> <laughs> but uh so we did obviously talk about a lot of games a lot of demos like it seems like we kept mentioning the month of february so we've got one more january podcast obviously next wait what what is the date the 23rd yes so we do have the 30th the for next week's podcast and then we'll go into february and start to see these things ramping up on all the games that you guys have been playing that have been under embargo we can start talking about as those uh embargoes lift maybe we'll play through these demos maybe we'll talk about these games releasing in february so exciting times ahead if you'd want you can follow us on twitter at rpg site you can also follow us on now instagram and youtube at rpg site net uh, if you want, you can go to our webpage at rpgsite.net and join the Discord from the link at the top of the page. We've got discussion channels for both Monster Hunter Rise and a overall MOBA channel, including Princess Connect Redive and Genshin Impact. And uh, is that it? Have I missed anything? I think that's it. That's basically it. All right. So we will be back next week. Until then, take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you then. Bye, everyone. Later, guys.